episode four. Welcome to the 99 Podcast, a show dedicated to the LA 99C theater community. I'm Benjamin Schwartz. And I am Matt Ritchie, and today we are going to be reviewing Deadly, the new musical by Vanessa Claire Stewart, currently running at the Sacred Fools Theater in Hollywood. It's a big musical that's about H.H. Uh, Holmes. Well, not about H.H. Holmes, or is it? I guess we'll get into that at yeah. the end of it. Yeah, H.H. Holmes is... Uh, was, fortunately, kind of America's Jack the Ripper. Um, I first came across the his name when I read Devil in the White City, this fantastic story about the Chicago World's Fair, mm-hmm. um, and all of the truly amazing things that happened there uh, that bled into American culture, pun intended. Um, but H.H. H. Holmes was this character who, uh, the real guy, who ran a hotel in the middle of Chicago during this gigantic World's Fair where everyone was coming from the, all over the place. The 1893 World's Fair it is. Uh-huh. And... Um, and he, during this time, it was uh, it was noted this was uh, during this this turn of the century. You know, women were becoming much more liberated, and um, so he was using this to lure, in a certain way, uh, women, single or not, into his hotel or his employ and murder them. Uh, now the log line here was: they were intelligent, ambitious, independent women. It just wouldn't do. That That is what they're using to sell this show right now, that we are going to be watching and featuring a show about these women. So let's uh, do what we usually do, and let's, um, let's talk about the design, the, the lighting, the tech, um, some of the, the, the sets and sound here. Uh, when I came into the theater, I was definitely brought into this world that they had created. It seemed really enticing and interesting. There was this uh, ladder system on stage with a platform on top and some interesting architecture behind it that featured some projections. Everything looked very put together right from the get-go. I had uh, very high hopes for this show, not only because I knew the source material, but just walking in the theater, it, it sets the mood quite well. Yeah, I, it's a little dismissive for me to say that Sacred Fools always puts up great uh design elements but it's really kind of true even even some any of the shows that i may not have been a gigantic fan of they do great work Mm -hmm. uh, i think on stage with um their set design their light design and this is no exception um i thought it was very economical in the sense that you know of, of using that center um construction that was very spare and sparse, but was able to be used for a lot of things, but doing an excellent job highlighting in, in just wallpaper styles, knowing what that 18, late 1800s feel was. I think that uh, there's a testament to the directing here, and this is what theater does so well, is to bring us into different locations and worlds, even though we're not moving platforms back and forth. So whenever they dropped into different rooms or the basement, the cellar, or outside, I always got the impression that they were exactly where they are. They did a really great job of containing and creating the mood. Absolutely. I definitely had a feeling of where we were, even so far as, uh, even though it's part of the script, 
really kind of conveying that sense of Chicago World's Fair and there's something special kind of going on here. Not only do you get that feeling of we're inside kind of this hotel, but the, the, the sense of excitement over this special thing that's happening in Chicago, which I agree has, has a lot to do with the direction as well. And you really like the costumes? I thought well? the costumes were fantastic. There was a really great choice, I thought, of, um, spoiler alert, women get murdered in this. It's right up front. But when the victims are murdered, they go from wearing... Uh, their normal clothes, which tend to be a bit colorful, to wearing various shades of gray, which makes perfect sense. And it also makes it completely, uh, very clear. There's no confusion as to whether one of these women is alive or dead once you understand the convention that they've created that they wear gray once they are ghosts, for lack of a better word. So, all in all, I'd say design elements... uh, Spot on. Yeah. Really, really great job all across the board. Fantastic. As far as acting goes? Uh, There was some great work in this show. Um, Keith Allen playing H.H. Holmes was just fantastic. I did a wonderful job, not only with the character in terms of being creepy, as well as, you know, very cool and kind of seductive. Very confident. Very confident. um, Really unsettling performance. I thought he did a fantastic job. Plus, Eric Curtis Johnson as uh, the investigator did a great job. Um, And for the production that we saw, French Stewart is splitting the role of Benjamin Peitzel, who is H.H. Holmes' sidekick. Accomplice, yeah. Yeah, his handyman. For our uh, production, we saw, for our performance, we saw David McIntyre, who I thought was great. Very charismatic. And endearing. And incredibly sympathetic. You definitely felt sorry for him. Yeah. Throughout the entire production, even though you knew he was doing the wrong thing. There's an interesting balance there where you're rooting for someone who's technically immoral. Yeah. And that's conflicting in an audience, but uh, interesting, I would say. There's not a lot of characters where you get to really latch on to the anti-hero. The victims of H.H. Holmes, the women in the show. Uh, Let's just begin with Kristen Evelyn, who plays a woman who is there really to kind of take up the role of Benjamin Peitzel, who has been helping out in the hotel and is able to do all of these technical things and is very hands-on. She, I believe, stands for the the strongest, most independent woman in the play. And you see... That the play starts out in this way, mm-hmm. achieving the playwright's success. Mm-hmm. And as we go from victim to victim, each of the characters become more weak and more vulnerable. Let me ask you this. Yeah. How many plots, how many A, B, C, D, E, how many different plots are there going on throughout this play? Let's back up for a second because I see where you're going with this question. Um but let's, I'm looking at this a little bit more broad mm-hmm. in the sense that, one, you've got how Holmes deals with his murder castle. So the scenes with Holmes and his castle. You've got Benjamin Peitzel and how he's dealing with everything personally. Sometimes that's with Holmes and the castle, but sometimes it's with himself. Sometimes it's with women. Uh, 
there's the investigation. And then there is the fourth part, which would be his female victims. Now, the female victims subline, uh, which I was about to call it a subplot, which is a problem. Considering that the whole play, as advertised, yeah. is about the women. Yeah. And they do say their name a lot yes. during the show. Yes. And they make sure to reiterate that several times. But I still don't remember any of their names other than many. Now, I would like to pull back and say before anyone says, well, of course, because you're a couple of guys sitting around reviewing this show. And listen, you know what? I, there is that. Fair point. Fair point. But Fair point. Mm -hmm. really, H.H. H. Holmes and the Benjamin Peitzel story take full pilot and co-pilot that is in the story that is definitely the a story and they cannot avoid it because unfortunately the story of hh holmes and his whole murder castle and everything is so enrapturing and interesting and it all stems off of it therein lies kind of the main issue because from a performance scenario from a performance angle i thought the whole show was great I really loved everyone's performance. From a design angle, everything is great. From a direction angle, I thought it was great. I really did. I love you know how they used the set and how they moved things around. I thought there was really, really excellent use of space. Um, I really enjoyed all of that. When it came right down to it, the, the songs, there were one or two songs that really stuck out. In some ways, that's a positive thing because I remember them. Um, they were kind of the more comedic songs, which when they came in felt a little off in terms of the timing to me. It kind of broke tone. Um, I found the end of the show, the last song is really effective mm. and very much in the style of what I anticipated mm. a Chicago esque yeah. sort of yes. soundtrack backing it up. Instead, it was this haunting soundtrack that had a lot of score that had a lot of dissonance to it mm. with a lot of melodies on top, people singing notes, mm -hmm. but none of them are really sticking out in my mind, catching me and ultimately are that hummable. Mm. So for me, it, it, the music felt like the thing that was dragging everything behind. Interesting. And, and also the songs didn't really tend to push the story forward. Yeah. They were a lot, a lot of the lyrics were in the moment songs or yeah. they were something that the character pontificates on, mm -hmm. but nothing really that de developed much of the character. Uh, and certainly, especially since this, the rest of the show seems to drive so well you know, it's a murder investigation, it's a thriller, it's very forward-moving, and in that sense, when you have the songs almost breaking action, yes, I, I would agree with you that there's that it kind of drags things down just a touch, but I don't actually think that, that was the ultimate issue here. Um, as much as I like everything on the surface of this play, I think the issue came down to the reason that the play was written that that i have been told 
from the materials that this is supposed to be about the story of the women, and the most interesting character in this play is H.H. H. Holmes. Once again, I'm not saying that because I'm a man who's really interested in the story of H.H. H. Holmes. H.H. H. Holmes was the most charismatic. He was the liveliest. He was dressed the most interestingly. He was most often featured on a pedestal while all of the, at the, all the way up till the end. And I'm not giving anything away here. Uh, but the women, all dressed in gray, are below at all times. This makes absolute sense because of how they were killed, the fact that they were killed. 100%. That's I right. I know but why the all symbolism, the yes. the connotation of seeing a man above all these women in literal scale and height, okay, seven feet above them, standing above them, it shows that in symbolism that this man is more of the central focus of this story because of the fact that the story was intended to be told about the women, but yet it had to be pulled back to HH because that story is interesting. It felt like another draft of this should come out where HH, as you were saying, when we were talking after the show is more of a shadow mm -hmm. that is in the background. Mm -hmm. You see him come in for the murders, but his story shouldn't be put on a pedestal, quite literally, the same in the same sense that the women are. Right. And I would have appreciated if we would have seen more of a, a through line, I guess. Yeah. Well, the very first song, if I remember correctly, is basically called Holmes. It's all of the women singing about this guy. And then the A storyline is what he does. And then the B storylines are about individual women and a little bit about their lives before they meet Holmes, but not much. The two things that really kind of stuck in my craw, if I can use that phrase for a moment. I like that. Thank you. Um... There was a comedic, upbeat song about called The Southern Way, which was all of the women singing this song that was kind of making fun of one of the women and the way she's dealing with things in such a southern way, which to me very much read all of these other women kind of judging women which for a show that is supposed to be the opposite, kind of, I know it was supposed to be comedic, but if you've got a play about a man, two men, really, two men who are murdering women, and then to have all of the women sing a song that's kind of, you know, demoralizing another woman, I didn't, that felt very off to me. I wanted there to be at least some kind of... Now, you can't change what actually happened. You can't change the time period. You can't change any of that. I'm not saying that you need to make the time period more progressive than it was. That's not what I'm saying. But in terms of what the show seemed to be trying to say... What you show on stage? Is all that really matters. Right? And there's a setup of all of these women who, some of these women have conflicts with 
a, a daughter, a sister, a this, a that, or whatever they, whoever they might have conflict with. Those conflicts are solved once both of them are dead. So why does it matter? There doesn't seem to be a difference between life and death in this play. The difference is that when you, if you die, you wear gray and you hang out trying to warn someone. And then if someone that you love, who in life you never got a chance to say I love you, when they die, you now get a chance to say I love you and sing a song and everything's okay. Then that means that dying changed what? Nothing. Everything turns out okay. So it kind of took the teeth away from what happened, I felt. When you'd, you'd imagine that when these women died that you'd get an audible gasp from the audience, but the first death, spoiler alert, uh, very few, the first death happens a couple minutes into the play, and the audience kind of, you know, at least in our audience, felt like there wasn't much of a reaction to that. And then as they keep on dying throughout, it just sort of is like, okay, on to the next one. We already know what's going to happen with them all. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. And I don't know how interesting that is. And by the end, it was a matter of dead victims singing to the audience their names and who they were. And that is supposed to leave us with, okay, this is the thing that's important. When, when it comes right down to it, when it comes right down to it, the only name I still remember is H.H. H. Holmes. And the reason that that's the only name I remember is, number one, you're working against the fact that I will have heard of H.H. H. Holmes to begin with. Two, he's the first name you have an entire song about. Three, He's the A story, and everyone is saying his name constantly. So if the idea is to give power and resonance to victims and not the perpetrator, simply having the victims say their names at the end to remind you of what they were in the play... And who they were doesn't really do anything. I don't know why to care about them other than they were victims. Now... We're reviewers. It's not our place to say how this might have been achieved better. It's about the fact that what it looks like is this was intended to be a musical about the victims of H.H. H. Holmes, based on the way it's being sold. If that is the case, I don't feel that it succeeded. If it was intended to be a murder of, uh, excuse me, if it was intended to be a musical about H.H. H. Holmes, more of a success. I really wanted to see whatever the playwright envisioned for what she felt like was important to talk about these women, but none of that really comes out other than their names. Yeah. Yeah, it's ultimately, I feel like I was being told what I'm supposed to care about, but I was being shown something else. Well, that about wraps it up there. <laughs> 
I don't know what else to sh- say about this show other than the fact that I really wanted to like this show. And I came in with really high hopes and a love for the source material. And I just felt like I was delivered a little bit of a different version than what was originally intended. Mm. Well, specifically what was being sold. Because there's, and I think this is the most important thing is, is that. Who is deadly? Right. H.H. Holmes. Right. So even the title suggest the protagonist of the story or whoever the main focus is going to be the person who's deadly and the post- not the people who are the deadly victims right the, or whatever it and the poster has the back of a woman walking into a hotel but the hotel with the uh Bowler hats are hung and whatever the hotel structure makes it look like the face of a man. So once again, we're showing you the face of the main character. When it comes right down to it, this is a play about H. H. Holmes. Now, maybe we're looking at this the wrong way. Maybe this is a play about H. H. Holmes and the way it was put out. As a logline, we misinterpreted, and it's not about the victims. It's actually about H.H. Holmes. In which case, why is there so much time and emphasis, yeah, spent on the backstories of the victims? Yeah, because they're not that interesting. Yeah, it's not a... Yeah, agreed. If not that the people themselves weren't interesting, no, not they that, could have been very, very interesting. Not that the performers didn't sell their goals and their motives on stage in the moment. Absolutely. Everyone was fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is a very mixed bag. There are some really great things about the show, but it is a definitive mixed bag for me. Here's the thing. I always honestly feel bad saying anything other than stellar things about a show because I know how it feels. Mm-hmm. None of these things are, are personal attacks that I, like, I always hope that's obvious. It has to do just specifically with the art and how things are portrayed. Um, but I always feel bad because I know how it feels to get a, a less than, than stellar review, especially if you were intending something and it didn't necessarily come across. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been there before too, where something that I thought as I was putting it down on paper was awesome. And then as it goes up on stage, I just kind of, I'm not embarrassed that it's up, but just like saying to myself, I know I can do better. Mm. And at least this is a progression to getting to the next step mm-hmm. and to somewhere better because we all learn from our mistakes. And I don't think that this is like, I don't think this would, obviously the playwrights super like, uh, like as they are described, they're a veteran playwright. They have all this stuff behind their belt. She's incredibly and, talented. And she's really talented. Absolutely. But just this particular project. Yeah. wasn't really that impressive for me. And somebody else may have a completely different experience, and that's okay. Yeah. I don't know if this part's on the show or not. but I don't either, but 
you know, I, I will have to say one of the things that I considered writing an article for G on the move about a reviewer's brain in terms of saying what they want to write, what they don't want to write, how they want to say things, because not only do we live in a very kind of artistically fragile place, um, I'm not saying that, you know, artists are fragile. I'm just saying that I can understand that when you're really pushing to do something that means a lot to you, if there's someone that says they don't like it, it's painful in ways. And I don't like doing that. But you also can't grow, which, sorry if that sounds, you know, Nobody, nobody starts out good at this and even the my favorite bands over the years and my favorite artists have hit weird places in the middle of their career or at the end or in the beginning that I wasn't a fan of and then they come back or they don't and it's just that there's you know there's ups, it's it's art and it it's a going to resonate with people some people and it's not going to with others that's hey, what man. it comes down to Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote Starlight Express. Dude, roller skates. That's all awesome. I'm saying. <laughs> and he did it after my Phantom of the Opera. That's my favorite Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Are you serious? Yeah, for sure. I love it. Starlight <laughs> I'm going to punch you right in the teeth. <laughs> you better have some dental insurance because your teeth are going bye-bye. It's the roller skates, man. Oh, my God. I saw that in London. I, I we, we actually, we went out and we had, a, um, we had an Andrew Lloyd Webber London trip being the family and we went to see um phantom which you know we all knew that the that the uh the chandelier, chandelier thing was gonna happen but what was so crazy about it was it was like the chandelier came across the audience really fast <laughs> and then like dipped and went straight down and it was just like this is the worst it's so bad i saw phantom on broadway and i fell asleep yeah uh, well, yeah, but when did you see Phantom on Broadway? Two thousand and three. Yeah, I, I am. I am of the belief that, like, I'm not even sure I could go see Les Misérables on Broadway right now. I love Les Mis personally. I know every word, the whole thing, and I've seen it a number of times. But I can almost guarantee that if I went to see it on Broadway right now, I would just like snooze fest because there's only so long you can run certain shows, in my opinion. Yeah, like Cats. Which should have run a weekend. My girlfriend saw Cats and she just texted me afterwards saying, have you seen this show? This is a very strange show. I said, of course. That's why I have not, will not ever see Cats. I have no reason in my life to ever see Cats. Just like I have no reason to do cocaine. You will have way more fun at the latter. Okay, duly noted. (laughs) That's it. You heard it from here. First, folks, if you, there's a choice, do either a night out. Cats or cocaine. Cats or cocaine. Do cocaine. Hashtag cats or cocaine. <laughs> Tell us in the comments. All right. Well, that's it. <laughs>
produced by Sacred Fools. We will see you next time on the Fantasy Podcast. As always, music is by Dream Phases. Thank you, Brandon. <laughs>